come with us. When you wish upon a star. Come and remember the magic. What's up, all you rad dudes and dudettes? Welcome to a special bonus episode of 90s Disney. I'm your host, AJ Minotti, joined by a very special guest. You know him, you love him from past appearances. It is screenwriter Tab Murphy. Tab, welcome back. AJ, thank you for having me. I always have a great uh, time when I when I chat with you, so uh, looking forward to it. Wonderful. Well, we have you here today because we are celebrating Tarzan, which came out 23 years ago. Can you believe that? That I cannot believe, actually. That's hard to wrap my head around. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to skip ahead a little bit, after we talked about Tarzan, we're also, I figured, since we have you here, and uh, it's not really anything that we're going to get to do a full episode of on the show, but you also were the, one of the screenwriters on Brother Bear, so I figured we'd also spend some yes. time talking about that, too. Terrific, terrific. Well, let's start with the uh, the King of the Jungle, or that's not what he's called, the, the Man of the Apes. I don't know, he's got a nickname, right? <laughs> Tarzan, <laughs> let's start there. So, Tab, I understand you came on to this project when it had a very different scope before it was going to be a feature release. So can you talk a little bit about how you were first approached to start working on Tarzan? Well, I had come off of Hunchback and I had a really great time. And uh, I figure I must have done an okay job because uh, Jeffrey called me and said, look, I want to put you on something else. And I think I've got something that I want to put you on, but it's, it's in the TV or the direct to DVD division right now. And it's Tarzan. And I mean, I wasn't really too hip about what the difference was. I mean, I knew TV worked with a lesser budget, but I, you know, I made that, or the, that video, direct to video worked with a lesser budget. So, but I said, sure, I'll come in and talk about it. So I went in and had a meeting and, and with Jeffrey and a bunch of the players in that division. And I mean, you know, I, I was really lucky in so many ways that a lot of the things that they offered me in those, in, during that decade that I worked for Disney were things that were right in my wheelhouse. I mean, obviously, Hunchback was for reasons I've detailed in a previous podcast with you. And Tarzan was because I grew up on Tarzan. I loved Tarzan. I'd watched the Johnny Weissmiller movies. I watched the TV shows. You know, I read, as I got older, the Edgar Rice Burroughs books. And so I was so very sort of familiar with it and loved it. And it was an iconic character. And so it wouldn't have mattered if they said, hey, we're, you know, like we want you to write this, but we're going to release it on, you know, DVD and or it's not going to be that big and that cool like Hunchback was. I still would have done it because it's a great character. And I, you know, would have like never gotten a chance to write about Tarzan if it hadn't been for Jeffrey and, and Disney. The cool thing that happened, though, when I said, yeah, I'll do it is that he called me or somebody called me uh, within the next like 48 hours and said, look, we're putting the brakes on this for a, set, for a minute and it's top secret, but I'll tell you because you're our writer, we're going to try to get it over to feature animation. And so, so, so what I didn't realize at that point is that, you know, I think Kevin Lima was already aboard. Maybe I'm not sure if Chris was, but 
you know, Kevin had already come off of the Goofy movie for, you know, sort of direct-to-DVD kind of thing. I think it played also in Disney Channel stuff. But but I think they saw what a great job Kevin did. Or And I don't, I can't, you have to refresh me. I don't know if that was a Kevin and Chris thing or just a Kevin thing. But, and I think Kevin lobbied hard to move it over to feature animation. And I think they saw the potential movie and that they believed in Kevin and they you know, they knew what I could do in terms of uh, what I could contribute vis-a-vis my work on Hunchback. So there was a big push. And a lot of that stuff is just political, man. You know, like the division, the TV division or the direct-to-DVD division, they're all vying for projects that they can, you know, proudly thump their chests over. Yeah, we did this, we did that. So I think there was some politics involved that needed to be smoothed over. I don't know, you know. Paola in the back room, as it were. I don't know what went down. All I know is that I got the word that it was now going to be a theatrical. And that just changed everything about the way I thought of it, the way I approached it. And and I also knew that, you know, given my experience on Hunchback, that it was going to get the, the you know, the class A top of the line treatment, Disney treatment. And uh, so I, I was very excited by that. Very excited by that. Awesome. So, see, I didn't realize that the, the turnaround from you getting contacted to going to feature was quite that quick. So that, did you get much work done even before you found out about it going from direct to video to feature? My memory's a little hazy about whether I even started or not. I'm yeah. not even sure. I, I And I and it very, could very well have been a few months, you know, because these things, you know, can drag out a little bit. But I do, and I don't know if I got started with a treatment or I don't know if I did an initial treatment and then Jeffrey said, hey, we're pausing this because we're going to try to get it over to feature. So I, I, I just, I'm a little fuzzy on the specifics of that, but I know that sequentially that's how mm-hmm. it went down. Very cool. Awesome. So can you speak a little bit to kind of your first take on the film and your idea for where you wanted to go, having read the books and been familiar with the adaptations versus where not necessarily where the film ended because I know you 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 didn't you didn't stay on as the final screenwriter when when production no, Bob underway. and Noni Bob and Noni came on and they right. they they, they, were, they they did a lot of scene work and character work and things like that. Mm-hmm. I you know I I think what I contributed mostly to Tarzan was structure, story, characters, and I think you know here's the thing you know the first draft of the script I mean. First of all, when you say what was what would what was my take on it? Well, it's never just my take because it's such a collaborative effort. It's a universal take. I mean, I go in with my ideas and I say, you know, let's, you know, like I, and I think that their ideas initially were let's try to do a straight adaptation of Tarzan of the Apes, the, the original Burroughs book, which if you've read it has Tarzan going back to England with Jane. And Clayton is a paramour of Jane and, and there's this, you know, and then it all ends up back in the jungle. So my, the first draft of my script actually had Tarzan going back to England. And then we all read it and we all talked about it. And we all realized that the real story was in the jungle. The real story was about a man who was trying to determine who, where he belonged who his family truly was. And that, you know, to leave all those characters you'd created in the jungle, Tantor, Turk, and all the other gorillas, and and his, you know, that sort of, you know, kind of really tempestuous relationship with Kerchak and all, to leave all that just to go to England and, you know, you know, work things through to find out that he wasn't meant to be with his real family. He was 
I mean, that his real family really was in the jungle. We just felt we got to find a way to keep it in the jungle. And I think that's where I, I, I think I really helped the third act because it was like, okay, so Clayton isn't going to be Jane's boyfriend anymore. So what is it? What are we, why are they there? What's happening? What's the evil plan? Clayton's our villain. What's he doing? And I had, you know, I had written Gorillas in the Mist, right? You know, back in 88. And, and a big part of that movie and a big part of the real life, of, you know, events of what were, were happening in Rwanda in, in those days was that there were a lot of gorilla babies that were being stolen and sold on the foreign markets to zoos so that they could have a, an attraction. So out of that kind of, I, I just remember coming in and pitching, why, why, why isn't Clayton, you know, fronting this effort? Like if I, a bunch of, he knows a bunch of guys are coming and they're going to trap gorillas and they're going to send them back to zoos in Europe and America. So he's just playing along with Professor and Jane. He's really got an ulterior plan. I think they responded to that like, oh yeah, that solves a lot of our problems because that gives, keeps it in the jungle. It gives Tarzan and, you know, a chance to resolve his relationship with Perchek for them both to be heroes in their own way. It's all about family, keeping family together. And, you know, like, so it just fed right in thematically to what everybody really understood the movie to be about. So that's cool because it's, it's interesting that you had this kind of almost two movie thing and then you bring it back to where it's just in the jungle. Because as I rewatched the film, in a way to me, there's still like, it's a very interesting dividing point, literally when the gunshot goes off, where the movie really does transition. And you almost had this resolution with Tarzan and Kerchak's relationship when he kills Sabor. And then literally that gunshot is like a, like a really hard jump into a new act. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was a brilliant way to introduce man has entered the jungle kind of thing. Uh, you know, the old Bambi line, man has entered the forest. Now he's entered the jungle. I just thought that was so cool with the way they did that. Is that part, was that part of your treatment? Like having that kind of hard transition from like kind of this man i can't remember i'd have to go back and read my treatment if it was a gunshot i I happened to i i mean i like part of me wants to say yes it was my idea (laughs) but there were so many good ideas that were always brought to the table that i borrowed and i used and i you know like i had available to me so whether it was in the initial i mean I did a I, I did an initial treatment that had him go to England, and then when we decided we got to keep him in the jungle, that's the movie that we can't really go do all this, you know, you know, trotting around to the you know the British Isles with him. I did another treatment I think that reflected that we would stay in the jungle, that reflected that Clayton was definitely our villain, but not because he was Jane's paramour and wanted her hand over Tarzan's. It was that he had an ulterior plan and all of this stuff. And it, it very well may be that that a gunshot, you know, after Tarzan, you know, defeats Sabor, which was a huge, you know, that's like the midpoint of the movie. Well, I don't even know where it falls, but it feels like halfway through the movie. It feels like two different movies in some ways, but they are not. They're all one movie, but it's a great. Yeah, I don't know if I put a gunshot in there or a, something that alerted everybody to this new sound that they hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. And. But I'll take credit for it, AJ. Thank you. No, I mean, much. yeah. We'll, 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 if, if no one can prove otherwise, that was totally you. So we touched on this a little bit when we talked about Hunchback, but this movie ended up being a very popular vehicle for Phil Collins' soundtrack. So I wonder, as you were working on it, was there a discussion, not necessarily that like Phil Collins is doing it, because that did come later, but like, 
was there talk of like is this going to be like a sung through musical is music going to play a role in this like where was that in in your phase of it i think minimal because you know when i came i was the first writer in so you know and i was working with kevin and then ultimately chris and and they had a, a a great head of story whose name escaped me right now and you know i don't know if they had a producer of record because i think bonnie arnold came in later and produced it but we were just trying to we were so focused on trying to what story are we telling thematically plotting you know who's our character who's our lead it, like obviously we knew tarzan was our lead but what we're going to how are we going to you know sort of like you know, we were going to take him from a child, a baby, to a, a young boy to that grows up into a young man that fights a boar and finally gets, you know, he never, you know. So for the up and through all those scenes, it was always about his relationship with Kerchak. That Kerchak was never going to accept this boy, despite Kala's pleas, and he allows her to keep him. So that was uh, that was the through line. And then, as you say, you know, he defeats Sabor, and there's this moment where, if the if if those if Jane and Professor hadn't shown up with Clayton, you get this feeling that he would have been accepted more into that clan, and that he would have become part of that community in a way. And but because they showed up and threw a wrench into that whole scheme, because it just caused Kerchak to fall back on his old prejudices about you're not one of us and. Now, you know, and all this, and you're going to bring the, these bad people down on us. So, again, I don't remember the question, but uh, <laughs> that's just me riffing. That's but, good. You know, it, yeah, it's all, you know, like Tarzan was, I also have to say, you know, like Tarzan, of, of the four movies I made, I probably spent the least amount of time on Tarzan because, <laughs> you know, most of those other movies, like I was on Hunchback for like eight, two years, and I was on Atlantis for the same amount of time I was on brother bear for a big chunk of time i was on tarzan last time because once i got them once i got uh, you know like we all got to a place where we saw a structure that was going to work and a story that was emotional that was going to work and great sequences like sabor the fight with sabor and oh just you know i mean fun sequences like the you know i dreamed up the idea that you know they, they had that Tarzan, young Tarzan has to prove himself by getting, pulling a hair out of an elephant's tail and bringing it back. And that was a big sequence and that was a lot of fun. So, you know, once all of that stuff seemed to be set in motion and no, we didn't really talk about songs, but obviously, you know, later son of man and, you know, all of these great, you know, songs came to fruition and as they continued to work on the story and things like that. But the reason is because. Kirk and Gary and Don had finished Hunchback and they were really anxious to jump into another movie. And I was really anxious to work with them again. And so I kind of, you know, I didn't, I don't want to say I bailed, but I, I, I left a little bit earlier on Tarzan that I normally would have to jump back into the ring with those guys, you know, and I, I knew cause I'd had a, you know, preliminary conversation with them that they were going to do something different, cool. And, you know, like I wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Not that I, you know, thought Tarzan was anything less, but I just, you know, it was, it was awesome. You mentioned at the beginning that you are, you know, you read the books, you watched all the the films and, and Tarzan is this huge pop culture icon in American literature. Is it 
hard for you to kind of divorce yourself from that as you were working on this film and like make it your own without kind of subconsciously borrowing from the other things you'd seen done with the character in the past? Well, I mean, yes and no, because some of the things that were done in the past are kind of iconic, you know? So, I mean, like the yell, right? And, you know, the relationship with the gorillas and, you know, I mean, there was no cheetah, obviously, you know, the Weissmiller things, but, and he didn't live in a tree house that became more towards the jungle issue in my mind. But I think more than anything, it was like staying true as much as possible to the source material, which was the book, rather than the Hollywood iterations, uh, you know, that took license with this, that, that and the other. I mean, you watch some of those early Johnny Weissler, Weissmiller movies and some of them are just downright racist in their presentation of, uh, you know, I mean, like it's so like, uh, clearly we weren't going to do anything like that. So I think more than anything, it, you know, I got, you know, when you, when I'm working on a story like that, I'm really working on the emotional arcs of the characters. I already know, okay, you've got a boy raised by apes. That's a given. What are they going to be the challenges? What's his, who's his nemesis in the first half of the movie? Obviously it's Kerchak. That comes from the, you know, like a lot of that stuff comes from the source material as well, some of it. So it's just, you know, picking and choosing, enhancing, and what works for a Disney film, et cetera, et cetera, Sabor. So I don't get too overwhelmed or worried about this, that, or the other. It's me just trying to shape a story. But I also know in that instance, you know, like Disney and all the people you know, waiting in the wings to work on this movie have got my back in a big way, whether they, that's, you know, like looking at what I've done and saying, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we push this a little bit? Why don't we, you know, so it's always, it's, it's always a major collaboration. And yeah, I, you know, unlike in like live action movies where, you know, you own, you know, not own, but you are, when you're writing that first draft, it is all yours. It is all yours. And you, you know, like you bring everything to the table and, and you refine, refine, and you get to the point where, okay, I'm ready to send it out. You never have that moment in working in animation because from the get-go, from the moment you say yes, it's a total collaboration. I mean, yes, I do, you know, maybe do an outline and then they give notes and then I do a treatment off of that outline and they have notes. But, you know, we're all kind of working with the same grand vision, you know, of, of the overarching story, but all the scene by scene stuff is all, you know, sort of like up for grabs and how are we going to, like, how are we going to get into this movie? I think, you know, my first draft the Tarzan had the ship going down and the parents dying it by drowning, but Tarzan is in a basket that floats toward the, to, toward the, toward land. And in the morning it comes down this little canal and it's in a, it's like, what's the great, uh, 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 biblical story Very, uh, of Moses. The, yeah. It's yeah, it's like Moses, like he shows up and he's like on the bank. And then all of a sudden, I think, you know, that we just followed that basket down this canal and then it edges up on the bank and there's this little cooing and gurgling going on in the bit. And then you see like a gorilla paw come in and pull the thing back and reveal the bait. So that was, you know, that was my initial opening. The o opening that ended up getting made, uh, was way better. <laughs> I mean, more exciting. <laughs> it introduced a boar. I, you know, so that was, you know, so that's the kind of thing you just, you know, you know, even if you do something 
that works emotionally and is kind of good that they're either going to, you know, have something better or they're going to enhance what you've done. And so I never worry too much about that. It's, you know, I mean, if anything, though, you know, we're working with those kinds of artists. It just you just raise your game, man. You you know, like I always was like, oh, man, I've got to, you know, like I got to bring my game to this this project because everybody else is and everybody's so talented and all that sort of stuff. So it's very inspiring to work with people like that. And so I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Perfectly. So like we said, you, you, you hopped off this project to go to Atlantis and I'm assuming you really weren't involved much with the production at all after that point, right up to the premiere. No, huh? no, not like I was on Hunchback and not like I was on even, you know, later Brother Bear and certainly not on Atlantis, which was cool. And I'll tell you why, AJ, because, you know, I, you know, you know, I left the project you know, at a certain stage and you know that they're going to make it for the next two or three years or whatever it took. And you know that, you know, in, in, it, there's a good chance that it's going to look quite a bit different than when you left it and, and, or it, there's going to look quite a bit similar to, to when you left it, but only they've done their thing to it. So I did not go to, like I was able to go in terms of hunchback, to, you know, story reels, uh, screenings and, and see it up on and, and see the progress. And, you know, here's uh, 30% of it's animated and here's we're doing a preview. And the, I saw nothing after I walked out the door on that project until the premiere. So you can imagine, I mean, you know, I've been out the project now for two and a half years, almost three years, probably. I'm at the premiere at the El Capitan in Hollywood and I'm, you know, I'm excited because I don't like know what it's going to look like. I don't know what, you know, I mean, I, I'm hoping, I'm certainly hoping that some of my stuff remained in the movie. And, and as it turned out, I mean, I, I knew going in because I got first position screenplay credit. So I knew that some, if not most of my stuff, at least in terms of structure, story and, and the, you know, the, you know, who the bad guys were, who the villain was and the nefarious plot was going to be in there. But I was totally unprepared for how it was realized. It blew me away, dude, like right out of the back of the theater, just like it did a lot of people when they first saw it. It was just so exciting, and it was an adventure. The stuff between, you know, Tarzan and Jane was awesome and fun, and she was a great character, you know, I mean, and, uh, and, and I just, I loved it. I was like floored by it. I just thought, wow. My name is on this movie. That is awesome. You know, so it was very exciting. And the coolest, uh, one of the coolest little tidbits about that screening at the end of the movie, they do a reprise, I think, of, uh, is it Son of Man or, 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 or one of Phil Collins' songs at the, <laughs> over the end credits, blasting away. And I'm like, wow, they really turned up the volume for this one. And then all of a sudden the curtain raises and there's Phil and his band playing it live like right there on the stage. And I'm like in third row and he's standing right there. And it was awesome. <laughs> and he, so he played a few songs from the movie. Then he played a few Genesis songs and the crowd was just out of their minds. It was so much fun. It was great. That's awesome. So yeah. I, I, I didn't want to get too into the whole, like, did you do this? Did you do this? Cause you know, the, the process and everything, but I am curious to know if you had involvement in the way Clayton met his end. Did you script out that he, died the way he did or is uh, that something that came I'm trying to remember how uh, you know what i'd have to go back to some of my early drafts my i think 
My initial response is no, that the vines came in as a way later that he was chasing Tarzan through the vines and he was cutting him. I think, though, that what I scripted was that Tarzan didn't kill Clayton, that Clayton, in his hatred and, and, and in trying to do Tarzan in, ended up offing himself in some way. But it was probably, I think it was different than the vines. Okay. I thought the vines was great. Yeah, yeah I, I, the I just, as I was watching the movie, I, for some reason, I thought to myself, eh, based on how I've gotten to know Tab, that feels like him. <laughs> a little bit of a well, dark end, know, too. It should have been. It should have been. <laughs> And I can't tell you how many people come up to me to th still to this day and like, I love Tarzan, but you know, at the end when Clayton hung, hangs himself and there's that flash of lightning and we see him hung there, that gave me nightmares for like oh, three weeks. You know, like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really me. Although it would have been me because that's a great idea. I yeah, mean, that's part of what's so great about working in those years at Disney on those movies is that everybody was encouraged to bring good ideas to the table. It didn't matter where they came from. I've never been uh, creatively involved in a process that was so egoless in terms of everybody just wanting to do what was best for the movie and not out with some kind of personal agenda like, oh my God, I got to have a certain number of lines in this movie so I can get my name on it. You know, like there was none of that. It was all just about let's make the best version of this movie we can. And that was just refreshing to me, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so much fun. I just had a great time. And I also tell people that it was the best screenwriting school I went to that I got paid to go to because, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'd been nominated for an Academy Award for Girls in the Mist and I'd written quite a few scripts by the time I got to Disney. But Disney taught me to really dig deep, deep, deep into character, into, you know, like, like, I mean, when, when I, you know, would normally pay, peel two or three layers of the onion off, they'd be like on layer six and I'd be like, they go deeper. And I'm like, there's no more onion left. How can I go deeper? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, but you find a way. And so they were always great at challenging me as a screenwriter, as a writer to, you know, like go, you know, like really get into character. So I learned a lot that ultimately informed, the, you know, as it has informed the rest of my career up to this point. So I'll always be grateful for that opportunity. Awesome. So let's uh, jump ahead a little bit. So we went from Tarzan to Atlantis. And if you haven't heard our Atlantis episode, you should go listen to it because it's fantastic. And after Atlantis, uh, you ended up working on Brother Bear. Can you talk a little bit about how you got off Atlantis and got onto that project? Well, it's funny because I, I didn't think after Atlantis came out and was a disappointment at the box office, and we were all just heart sick, you know, because we had spent four years on that movie. And I think right up until the day it was released, we all thought people are going to love this movie. I mean, we loved it. We had so much fun making it. We couldn't wait, you know, not because we wanted it to be the biggest blockbuster Disney ever made, but we just wanted to share it with our, you know, our demographic, the people that went to these kinds of movies. We wanted to share it and let them have a blast, the same kind of blast we had making it and that just didn't materialize for whatever reason. You know, some people blamed 9-11, some people blamed the change in movies at that time. Atlantis was going up against another movie that was the breaking ground. And, you know, so there were just a number of factors why it appeared that it just didn't find its audience on initial release. So I came away from that, you know, a little just like everybody else, just like, holy shit, you know. 
that was that's that's a bummer. I really didn't expect to go back to work there because it's you know usually you go back to work when you've done something you know like Tarzan made you know whatever two hundred million dollars three hundred million whatever worldwide it was a big hit and so of course you know jumping into Atlantis with Kirk and Gary who had a lot of cash at the studio there you know so that was awesome. So after Atlantis came out and had a somewhat tepid box office, I didn't expect anything after that. Although I think I still was under a bit of a deal with them. But I got a call from Tom Schumacher and he said, hey, Tap, I think I found your next project. And I said, whoa, what is it? He said, I got these, I got a director down in Orlando. His name's Aaron Blaze. He's a wildlife artist. He pitched us this really cool idea about a transformation movie that about bears and so he and his story guys are down there and they've been working on this thing for about six months and they're kind of stuck they're kind of in a rut a little bit i'd love you to come on and go down there and work it out with them so i think we believe in this movie i think it'd be fun and and so i was like again this just speaks to the everything that i got offered at disney was right in my wheelhouse so i grew up in the pacific northwest i'm a i love wilderness i love mountains I love bears. I love grizzlies. I, you know, like, so it was just like I said, done, uh, let's go. I'm in, you know, so I went down. So that became the next thing I worked on. And a lot of that work occurred in the early stages in Orlando. So I had to fly from LA to Orlando and spend a fair amount of time on multiple trips down there working with, you know, Aaron and their head of story and their producer and working the story out you know, trying to figure out what kind of story we can tell. We knew, you know, I mean, early on, a boy or, a, you know, an Inu or a, a native boy turns into a bear and has to, you know, find his way back to his human form and the adventures that happen along the way. And, you know, so, so, but really it was me coming down and working with them to fill in all that, the rest of it, you know, the culture, the, you know, the brothers, you know, the uh, the revenge angle, all, all of the all of that, you know, stuff, and through to this idea of you know, you must go to the place where the light touches the the mountaintop, and you know, like there, so there was a quest, and you will find your answer. I like just all sorts of stuff, you know, that was a lot of fun for me because I'm a huge fan of native culture, and I'm a huge fan of wilderness and and you know, beasts and wild beasts and things. So it was. Again, I just had a ball on that. I had, a, I had a, a, a ball. So again, when I looked at the the credits on the film, it, you know, you have top screen play credit, but there are others: Lauren Cameron, David Hasselhoff. Oh, there's a million writers on yeah, that Steve, one. Steve, <laughs> Steve Benchick, and uh, Ron Freeman. So yeah, again, uh, they were they were a team, I guess. And like, I wasn't like sometimes I got to actually work with the writer, the other mm -hmm. writers that were brought on, like on Hunchback. I was in the room with. Irene Mackey. I was in the room with Bob and Noni Zudiker and then Jonathan Roberts. So, and that was awesome. It was great. Initially, I'm like, who are you guys? Was my attitude. But because I'd been on that thing for almost, uh, you know, a year and a half and the lone screenwriter. And so I was a little possessive of it. But I quickly got over that because they were all funny and smart and this and that and had great ideas. And I was like, this is awesome, you know? So, so, but I didn't get a chance to work with the writers that were brought on to the project. We were all about, you know, trying to get the movie, the story in shape. We had a lot of pitches that ultimately they, the, those guys came out to LA and moved out here to, you know, so that we could, you know, like work 
together, but they also had to go through the, you know, the, the you know, the, the drudgery of like pitching and getting notes and we, we refined the story till, till they got, and it was always, it was so funny because Aaron was always, you know, like, because he came from, you know, like, well, I don't know what, but he had in his mind that he would get at, 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 at the end of one of these meetings, Disney would say to him, okay, you got a green light, go make your movie. So we would go over to these pitches and, you know, like do all this stuff and, you know, and, and, and he would come out of there and he'd go like, I don't know, do we have a green light? I don't know. You know, like, I mean, and we'd keep going and falling forward. And ultimately I said to him, Aaron, you know what? You have a green light until they tell you you don't. So just think of it that way, you know. And I think that was backed up by one of the executives who said, you know, we're making this movie until we're not. So, but like, still that, you know. And so it was. It always like cracked me up when he was always worried about doing this But dude, we're make, we're in the process of making it until they come to you and say, you know what, we're pulling the plug. Don't worry about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so that was uh, we had a lot of good victory kind of pitches that got the move the story approved and moving on to the next you know like bringing on you know like they did all the animation in orlando so all the you know biz dev was done down there and all that stuff and then they started sending aaron and by that time i think maybe not i don't know if bob was on board as a co-director at that point in those days disney's always like two directors on Mm -hmm. board but i think before that so Aaron and and Chuck Williams, who was the producer, Bruce Johnson, I think it was head of story. Those they sent those guys up to the no man's land up in Alaska to, you know, sketch and take pictures and all of you know, do a big trip. And I those are all just signs that, yeah, we love this. We're we're gonna make it. So I kept telling Aaron, relax. They're making your movie, pal. <laughs> So yeah, that was, but I had a lot of fun with that. And again, that was a case where I did go off that movie or leave that movie and they brought on other writers to do comedy stuff and other things to fill out. But I left that movie and didn't see it again until I was at the premiere in New York. And again, I watched it and I was just like, this is really cool, man. It's really awesome. So I know um, the movie's development had a big shift where you had the... The, the character of Coda wasn't there yet. It was Grizz, this like older grizzly bear that Keena that was, was like, I on that movie. Yeah, that was the story that I left on. Okay, so you, you weren't and involved with they, Coda at all then? I was not involved with Coda, okay. but I understand why they did that. Mm-hmm. See, originally, Kenai was young and kind of like younger and kind of out of his element and didn't know oh my god you know like how to navigate that world and he teamed up with that old bear grizz so it was grizz became kind of like a father figure to him showed him the ropes and all that and there was a lot of comedy between them but i think what they realized is that if they did a reversal of that and that you had Kenai, you know like denying this i hate you know i'm a bear i hate bears because they killed my brother and then he suddenly was, you know, he had the, this little cub that he had to kind of watch out for, who was this mouthy little kid. Uh, and ultimately, which led to the greatest scene in the movie, which everybody still cries in, you know, when he has to uh, admit to Coda, you know, I did something really bad, you know. So I thought that was a brilliant, I thought that was great, you know, when they pivoted and did that, because it also made it more, I think they realized totally. I mean, you look at the first 20, 30 minutes of that movie, 20 minutes of that movie, as up, right up until the transformation, most of that, that stuff is mine. 
because I kill people in movies, dude. <laughs> I fucking murder people in movies. I mean, think about Atlantis. 200 people die in the first 15 minutes of that movie. Okay. <laughs> think about the gypsies. Uh, think about the prologue in Hunchback. You know, a woman gets trampled to death and a baby's held over a well. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, think about Tarzan too, you know, like initially the, the, the parents, you know, are killed by Sabor and it's like, I still get people to this day go, I froze that frame and there's bloody footprints all over. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, it's not like it, Anyway, I have this reputation of having killed too many people at Disney. That's why they won't hire me anymore. But <laughs> no. So that was the thing, you know, with, with Brother Bear. Those first 30 minutes or 25, 20 minutes are pretty intense. Mm -hmm. I mean, you set up the relationship with the brothers, and then it's a hunt. Then it's about revenge. Then it's about death of one brother. About another brother going to get, then another brother going to hunt down the bear that he doesn't realize his brother has turned into. I mean, so we, we set all that in motion. And they realized, oh, my God, we got to have a few laughs in this movie. This is starting, starting out like taxi driver with bears, you know. So that's what that's where the moose were born from. And that's where, you know, a lot of the jokes that went coda, you know, like, you know, I'm sorry. But there are still some poignant moments in, mm -hmm. you know, all, all through. But all of the, you know, like I had all the all the stuff through the, you know, like what I envisioned was Yellowstone back in the day with the geysers and the lava and all that, you know, like the, like the lava, the hot, but all of that stuff with his brother hunting him, all that. So that was all. I brought the more intense things to that story. And the other writers came in and, and leavened it up and lightened it up with humor and, and, and some, some story stuff too, but mm -hmm. certainly the ship Coda, because Coda, I mean, being a cute little cub, brought a lot of levity to that relationship between he and Kina. So, mm -hmm. and I totally got why they went that way. Right. The other thing I, I, I always, even when I saw the movie when it first came out, I thought it was a very interesting choice that he remains a bear at the end. Cause it's kind of not the ending you're yeah. expecting. Was that always the idea from we the beginning? Knew that that was gonna be, we always knew that was going to be the case. Yeah. No, we, we, we wrote toward, or we made the movie. I wrote toward that ending when they made the movie towards that ending. But the idea was that a man or a young man becomes a bear and in so doing, you know, discovers his own humanity. And at the end realizes that, you know, there's, you know, that being a bear is his destiny with regard to this. Well, you know, it wasn't a cub at the end of my script, but it was that he realized that that's what he had more life. He was living more life, more to the fullest as a bear than he ever was as, as this, you know, young native boy. So he chose that to stay that, you know, so it was, you know, it was always meant to be a kind of a poignant end ending, you know, so, and they, you know, they kind of went, they, they, you know, they put a stamp on that by, you know, showing the brothers coming back and, you know, his older brother and then he's a bear and his young and his young, you know, the other brother and all that stuff. So it was, I mean, you know, like I was like, that's cool. I can, I'm down with that decision, you know? Very cool. So I just want to take like a little bit of time just to kind of do like a little bit of like retrospective now that we're kind of, you know, 20 some odd years away or whatever from your, the time sure. you worked at Disney, when you look back at those four films and that time spent, you know, with that company, with the, the, those teams, what does that mean to you today? Well, I mean, I look back on it as one of the most creative and fulfilling 
from, you know, not only as a writer, but as an artist, you know, and in terms of working with artists that were on their A game, you know, like it's one of the most fun, productive, creative periods of my career. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, like sometimes in the middle of it, in the thick of the battle, as it were, you don't have a chance to put it in perspective, you know, but uh, now 20 some years removed from those movies, I look back and I go, I was so lucky to, I really was. I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time to be invited into that world. And they had to be a little persistent because I was saying, no, I'm not going to write kids movies. I'm not here to write cartoons. I'm here to write serious, you know, movies, live action movies. So, but when I finally, you know, stepped through the door and I saw what the process was and what they were turning out and how cool it could be. I think I told, probably talked about this before, but it, I think it was seeing Beauty and the Beast was the first time I realized these are works of art. They're not just kids' movies. These are, there's great storytelling here. There's great artistry going on here. Why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? You know? So, yeah, I mean, so it's, it, you know, when I look back on it, I feel very fortunate that, you know, that not only did I get to, you know, work you know, with the best of the best for those 10 years. But, you know, my name is on four of those movies that were released during that period, you know? So I, you know, and I don't ever, I try to be humble, but I go, well, I must've been doing something right there, dude. You know, because I don't see anybody else's name on four movies uh, as a writer. I just mean that that's a testament to, and I look back and going, wow, they must've liked what I was doing because Mm -hmm. there I was on those four movies, you know? So that was cool. And so today, now these, you know, we're both uh, involved with a couple of different Facebook groups that uh, sometimes I'm hesitant to point the 90s Zizzy audience for some of the content in the groups, but it's, it's very, Uh, I would say it's a wild and crazy ride. Yes. uh, That's a good way of putting it, but it is really cool. I don't participate in any of that. No, I'm I'm more of an instigator than anything. I'm like, no, I I have a great time. I have a great Uh time in Atlanta. I have a, I have that, my own sort of page that i talk about other things than disney movies and Atlantis on and it's a little bit more personal and i have you know i really enjoy my interaction with the people there and you know we have a good time so yeah no it's that that's part of something that i didn't even realize was there until mm-hmm. a couple of years ago during the pandemic and i may have, i think i talked about this I, I, you know for 20 odd some years i thought i was the only writer that written the only disney animated flop you know, in Atlantis. And I hadn't thought about that movie in 20 years. And not because I, I'm very proud of that movie, but you move on, you put stuff, you tuck stuff away. And particularly things that didn't, that, you know, were disappointments, you tuck away even a little further in your subconscious. So it was quite the surprise when I discovered some of these fan groups and realized that there were, that most of the people that saw Atlantis were not you know, butts in the seats in the theaters back in the day, but discovered it on home video, whether it was VHS or, blue, or you know, like a DVD or whatever. I mean, they just wore it out on home video. And the, and so there, there was this thriving and passionate fan base that I was completely unaware of. So that was the coolest thing for me personally to come out of the pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. to be made aware of that, you know, 20 years later, wow, we made a movie that actually did have an effect on people that actually that people actually do love and still carry it forward. And even in their twenties and thirties, still 
love to talk about. So that was that was huge, you know. That's awesome. Well, Tab, once again, I can't thank you enough for for joining us to talk about these films we worked on. You know, you were our first guest on the show, and you know, we're celebrating our our third year anniversary of the show, and and uh, a lot of the cool wow, things that have amazing. happened. Congratulations, thank dude. you. Congratulations, but yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, again, I can't thank you enough because you know, you, for me personally, like you were the first interview I was able to kind of get for the show, and that led to other interviews I've been able to do. So. I just want to say thank you because that's been oh, just such a treat. Thank you for having me. I mean, thank you for having me, really. I mean, uh, that's another thing that's come out of this whole thing of, you know, the resurgence of of, of interest in these movies is that, you know, like I get to talk about it, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I hadn't done in 20 years, dude. I hadn't talked about Hunchback. I hadn't talked about Atlantis, Tarzan, Brother Bear. I hadn't t- there was nobody to talk to about it, I thought, you know. <laughs> So it's been fun for me to kind of be, to kind of not only walk down memory lane a little bit and remember the process and all that stuff, but, you know, I was a geek as a kid and I loved certain movies and I would have died to just have any nugget of information that was even remotely close to what the movie, this movie I loved. And so I embraced that whole fandom and I, you know, you know, because you've been on the site, but I posted early treatments of Atlantis. I posted outlines of hunchback and i posted this and that about tarzan because i i get the thirst man i get the want the need to know certain things about how the movie was created what decisions were made how did you decide to do this versus that that's all fascinating stuff to me it was to me when i was a kid growing up so so i've had a ball you know i really had a ball great well, hey, before we wrap it up, I know you've got a few different pies in the ovens. Which ones can you talk about? You want to let us know what you're working on? Well, I, I will talk about one that you overheard a little while ago, which is, you know, I've written a narration for a documentary about kangaroos for Netflix. So that's a little sort of outside the box for me. But actually, it's not because, you know, I love I, I love the natural world. I love natural history. So when uh, this opportunity presented itself, hey, you know, we got this documentary being made about kangaroos at Netflix. Do you want to write the narration? I'm like, yes, all in, you know. So that's been a lot of fun. And you overheard that they're going to have some previews. So Netflix is very excited about it. So I'm excited for the filmmakers and for the, you know, everybody, the team associated with making it. So that's, that's all very exciting. And I'm writing my first video game, which I can't talk about, but... This is just like something that presented itself again, like out of left field, which normally I would have said, no, nah, I don't think so. But I thought, well, what? why not? Let's just, and I'm having a ball. I'm saying awesome. it's all about world building. It's all about world building. And so, so yeah, just, and, you know, still trying to get the changeling made, which is the horror screenplay that I, the, the remake of the original changeling ghost story, that's going to happen probably, I don't know if it'll, we have a director and all this stuff. I'm not sure it'll happen this year, but certainly by next, fingers crossed. So, though, there are a few things in the hopper. And that we should mention too Last of the Dogman has its Blu ray release coming up pretty soon. Oh my right? God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like literally next Tuesday. Yeah. I'm I was going to so say, excited. I have, I have I, my pre order in, so I'm pretty pumped. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's great support. I am so excited about that, mainly because I was, uh, be, uh, was able to revisit that movie after well god 94 2004 2004 after 26 years (laughs) i was able to revisit that movie with my dp and we were able to go through the whole movie and just color correct things that did not get its fair shake 
back in the day and you know and so i'm so excited i don't think the movies look any better and it's going to be really for people who are fans of the movie they're going to like be blown away so i'm totally excited about well that. again I, I, I do need to thank you again for sending my dad a signed last of the dogman poster he was very delighted to oh. receive that <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i mean i uh that kind of thing is just warms my heart when people you know re you know like tell me that that movie means something i mean the disney movies are great but they also had a powerhouse studio behind them and people love disney even before they see the movie they love disney uh but this movie uh was something i wrote and directed and you know it, it you know it's had an uphill battle to even get released uh, in the back in the day and it didn't do very well but again just like atlantis I don't. I seem to write these movies that are ahead of their time for some reason. <laughs> uh, but it, it it has gained a following over the years, and I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, "My dad loves this movie. He's seen it 25 times," or "My mom loves this movie," and, or "I watched this movie with my dad as when I was a kid. I love it." You know, like that kind of stuff is just gold to an artist. You know, whether you're a writer or whatever. So it's 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 very gratifying. I'm very excited. Awesome, man. Well, hey, even though we're done talking Disney, hopefully someday in the future, we could find another excuse to get you on the show and just kind of uh, shoot the breeze and yep. see what's well, going on. You know, if, if this Netflix documentary takes off and becomes a worldwide smash, I'm available, pal. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Tab, thank you once again. It's always a pleasure to have you. And likewise, AJ, thank you for having me. And always have a great time chatting it up with you, pal. All right. Take care. Once again, we have to say thank you to Tad Murphy for coming on the show and just sharing such incredible stories with us. It's so fun to just hear that process, hear how he was involved with these films. And uh, like I said, we've kind of finished out the Tab Quadrilogy, uh, but we will definitely be in touch with him in the future. So I'd like to thank everyone again for three years of 90s Disney. Uh, we love doing this show, and uh, I hope that you get something out of it as you listen. Uh, we will be back July 1st for our next full episode. As Mike said at the end of uh, this month's episode, uh, we're doing the uh, the Boats to Animal Kingdom. I don't even know what they're called off the top of my head. And I'm very curious to see how he gets a full episode out of it, but I'm sure he will find a way. So, until then, be sure you go to 90sdisney.com, 90sdisney.com, to subscribe to the show and the podcast service of your choice so you can learn everything about the Boats and Animal Kingdom and find all the other shows we did, including our past episodes with Tab Murphy on Hunchback of Notre Dame and Atlantis, because if you've not heard those, they are phenomenal conversations where we learn a lot about two of my absolute favorite Disney films. And uh, yeah, guys, please take care, and we'll see you next time right here on 90s Disney. <laughs>